You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Take your Bible, Revelation, please, chapter number 2, and we'll be reading verse 18 and verse number 19. And uh, we'll look at this letter to the church at Thyatira. We'll begin this letter tonight. It's going to take another service or two to get through it. It's a lengthy letter. But I want to give you a thought that God laid on my heart for us this evening. And I pray it'll be a help to you. Thanks again for being in church on Wednesday night. I'm glad for that truth of the song that he didn't come down. And uh, I'm glad if you think about it and you study the Bible timeline, we are right there at the moment when Christ would be suffering on the cross for us. And three days and three nights, he'd be in the tomb, and then he'd come out on Sunday morning, resurrection ground. There's not a good Friday. That's okay. But it was a good day when Jesus died for us at Calvary. Amen? And I'm glad we serve a risen Savior, not a dead Jew in a borrowed tomb. I'm glad he's God and proved himself to be by laying down his life and then taking it up again. And thank God for Easter. Christmas is good, but Easter's the exclamation point on your salvation. Amen. Rising ye justified freely forever. And then one day he's coming, and that'll be a good day, won't it? Revelation chapter number 2, and let's begin reading here in verse number 18, and we'll look here in verse number 19. And if you think about the letter to the church at Thyatira, it's the longest letter dictated by Christ to John and recorded here in the book of Revelation. And there's much wrong with this church, and there's a lot of error to deal with. But as in all these letters, Christ will begin by describing himself and then also commending the positives in the church. And tonight I want to stop at that commendation and verse number 19 that displays to us what I believe is the positive or positives in this church and apply it to our Christian life tonight. Look with me here at Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 18. And unto the angel, the church in Thyatira, write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. So that description tells us he is one who is ready to judge. He can see, he knows, you don't pull the wool over his eyes, they cut through, his feet like brass, it speaks of his judgment. But look here in verse number 19. I want you to see what it says. I know thy works. And you might want to underline these words. There are several words here. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works. You notice that? He said, I know thy works. And then at the end of the list, again, he says, and thy works. He repeats it. says it twice. And the last phrase, and the last to be more than the first. What he's saying is the quantity, no, not the quantity, the quality of the works at the end of this progression are more, not numerous, but more valuable than the works that are listed at the beginning of the progression. I believe as you look in this verse, we see an ascending line, if you will. Christianity is not cyclical or it's not supposed to be. What I mean by that is we are not supposed to be on a constant cycle of growth, digression, growth, backsliding, advancing, going the wrong direction. Christianity ought to be linear 
And that line ought to be ever ascending to holy ground, higher ground. Now, I'm not talking about perfection, but direction. See what I'm saying? We are striving to Christ's likeness and should be anyway every single day. I ought to be more like Jesus today than yesterday if everything is functioning the way it ought to be in my walk with God. For a little while this evening, we're in this series, Christ and His Church in the Last Days. And I want to preach on this thought, the imperative, and really teach whatever on this thought. More like Christ. More like Christ. I don't know if you've ever been to the Alamo in uh, Texas or not. But they have portraits of some of the men who gave their lives and died for freedom there at the Alamo. There's a portrait as you walk into the Alamo of a man named James Butler Bonham. But there's a description under the portrait, and I want you to hear what it says. It says, no portrait of James Butler Bonham exists. The portrait that you're seeing is of his nephew, Major James Bonham, who, uh, who, who, uh, who greatly resembled his uncle. And then the line says, it was placed here by his family that people may know what the man who died for their freedom looked like. So they're saying there is no actual picture of the man who gave his life for them. But this person so closely resembles that one that if you look at him, it's like you're seeing the other individual. Well, can I say tonight that my purpose or the purpose that Christ is working in me through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is that my life would more and more be an accurate reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ to the world around me. Now, you're going to see the truth of what I'm about to say if you look all around you. Something that is alive and healthy and functioning as it's supposed to will grow. The rate of growth may vary from one thing to another. But when everything is working as it should, things that are alive will grow. It's true throughout the animated world. For example, the flowers of the field will grow. The grass that's on the ground, it will grow. Animals grow. Obviously, people grow. And growth is a basic characteristic of healthy life. It's very obvious tonight that as I've aged, I have grown. I am not the same size that I was when I was born into this world. My hands are bigger. My, my, my fingers are longer. My feet are bigger. Everything, it just grows. And by the way, that's how it ought to be. I'm growing in size. I'm growing in maturity. For example, the other day at lunch, I ordered Brussels sprouts as a side, and I wanted to. Amen. Getting older and getting more mature. It would be unusual, wouldn't it, to feed a baby and to nourish that child, to give it everything it needs for growth, and yet that baby show no significant signs of growth. It's normal and it's expected for something that is healthy to grow. In the last days where it's so easy to see the wickedness that is around us, I'm convinced our world desperately needs to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the world is going to see Christ clearly, they are going to see Christ clearly in the life of a Christian that is growing in Christ-likeness. I read a statement that said this, the world does not read the Bible, but the world does read the Christian. And if Christ is going to be seen in this generation, he will be seen in my life and through your life. There's a poem that says, you're writing a gospel, a chapter each day. 
by the things that you do and the words that you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithless or true. So what is the gospel according to you? The Lord takes pleasure in every one of his children. But I think the Lord especially delights in his children that are growing in the grace of God. Just as plants grow, and just as animals grow, and just as you and I grow physically, you and I ought to be growing as a child of God. That plant in the pot in your house, you want it to bloom. That pet that you take care of, you expect it to grow. That baby that is born goes from crawling to toddling to then running all over the house. And so you and I spiritually ought to advance from adolescence to Christian maturity. Christianity is not about the destination only. Sometimes I think we sing so much and think so much and talk so much about our destination that we forget it is more than the destination. Christianity is also about the process. Salvation is not the finish line of the Christian life. It is the starting line of the Christian life. 1 Peter 2, 2, here's what Peter said. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that she may grow thereby. He emphasized it again in chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you look at a family, there are varying degrees of growth in a family. There will be different ages, different heights, different weights, different stages of growth. There's a father, a mother, and children. The same thing is true in the family of God. All of us enjoy the same spiritual standing in Christ, but all of us are at different degrees of spiritual growth. And I'm not as concerned about where you are on the timeline of spiritual growth. The concern is, are you moving in the right direction on the timeline of spiritual growth? John penned it in 1 John chapter 2 as he addressed saved people. He addressed them in three different categories. He said, I want to talk to you little ones. Are you babes in Christ? Those who are saved, but that's about it. And then he said, I want to talk to you young men. Those are some who are a little bit further down the road. And then he said, your fathers. That includes women as well. He's saying, I'm talking to those who are spiritually established and mature. And here's the truth. As I grow in the Word of God, my life ought to mirror Jesus Christ more and more every single day. The purpose that God is working in my life via the Holy Spirit and His Word is to conform me into the image of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 29, here's what the Bible said. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn rather among many brethren. God predetermined that every person who would be saved by grace through faith of their own free will, once they're saved, there is going to be a work that is begun and then completed in their life by the Holy Spirit. He will chip away at their carnal nature and that old life little by little, and in the process, they will become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
Bible said, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. And how important it is in this perverse generation that you and I that name the name of Christ do more than offer lip service to that name, but have a life that exemplifies and magnifies and is characterized by the attributes of that lovely name. Amen. The world can scrutinize the Word of God and cast doubt on our Bible, but they can't do much to say anything against a life that has been changed by the grace of God and then exudes the grace of God in the world around us. Oh, oh my. All the power of God dwells within you and I tonight if you're saved. The Holy Spirit resides within. And you better believe that the Holy Spirit is working that powerful work in you and I if we'll yield and allow him to, to make us more like Jesus every single day. Less like me and more like the Lord. That ought to be what my, character, my Christian life is characterized by you imagine what a contrast it would be to the darkness of this world if you and I truly would grow in grace and mirror the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm talking about sanctification. Sanctification. We have been justified. That is our position. We will be glorified. That is our prospect. But even now we are being sanctified, and that is for practical, everyday, holy living and glorifying the Lord. Sadly, we're not living in an hour of sanctification. We're living in an hour of sanction. By that I mean we are not striving toward godliness on the whole, but rather it is whatever I feel and want, that is what I'll do. And how detrimental that is to a lost and dying world that may never pick up a Bible, but they'll read the epistle that you and I write every day by how we act and live. If you study the last days, here's how the people of the last days are described, lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. It goes on, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. What a contrast that is to a Christian filled with the Spirit, dwelling richly in the Word of God, the Word of God dwelling richly in them, and then showing forth Christ. That's a dark depiction of the world around us. But that's why Paul said, that's why you, you shine as lights in this world. Think about how bright our light would be if we'd yield to Christ in that way. Contrast it. Contrast selfishness with Christ-like selflessness. That's a bright light. Contrast being boastful and proud with Christ-like humility. That's a stark contrast. Contrast being a blasphemer with one who has Christ-like conversation. Contrast the unholiness with one who has Christ-like Holiness, I believe we'll do far more to change our world if we keep the light burning brightly rather than just curse the darkness that is around us. Amen. Oh, my. Amen. The average Christian is an expert complainer and diagnoser of the depravity, and then they are bush league when it comes to yielding themselves to Christ, getting filled with the Word of God, and showing Christ in their generation. And I'm not preaching to you. I'm talking about all of us every single day of our life. Let your light so shine right before men. Why? So they can see the Father. Not see you, but see the Father. How are they going to see the Father? Through the light that you shine. John the Baptist said, here's the motto for my ministry. Less of me and more of Jesus. Let me decrease that he might increase. Oh my, set my affections on things above. Uh, set my attention on Christ. Allow the Holy Spirit to take my agenda and make it his agenda. Here's what I mean. Christ-likeness will draw opposition and persecution from the world probably faster than anything else. 
But on the same hand, let me say, it'll do more to touch a sin-hardened heart than anything else. The extreme wickedness around me does not excuse me from trying to live a holy life. Amen. The Bible commands me to grow. The Holy Spirit compels me to grow. The local church is there to help guide us in growth. Our love for Christ ought to constrain us to grow. That's why after three decades of ministry in Philippians, Paul said this, I tell you what my heart desires, that I may know him. He's saying, I have still not attained. There is still a mark out in front of me and a prize that I want to claim. There is still a finish line before me. And, and he's deep in the things of God, but he wanted to go deeper still. He wanted to adorn the doctrine of God with his life. He said, I'm pressing on that upward way. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live not I, but Christ liveth in me. He said, I want everybody to see Jesus through my life. Oh my. No doubt. One of the things that's doing so much harm and enabling so much darkness prevails, the failure of believers to exhibit any measure of spiritual growth. You say, what do you mean? I'm saved and I'm a new creature, but I'd not be the new, a new creature with the same old carnal habits. I'd slowly be progressing. Let me say this. I don't care how many years you've been saved. The years of your salvation does not equate to spirituality. Amen. I don't care how many Bibles we have on our bookshelf. It does not mean you're spiritual. I don't care where you draw your hemline or cut your hair. It does not mean that you're spiritual. I'm talking about one who is filled with the Holy Spirit and walking with the Lord. Profession might be sure, but our portrayal might be muddy if we're not growing in grace. Everybody all right? Colossians 3.12, Paul said, he put on, therefore, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy. He's saying, here's what you ought to do every single day that you live. He said, every day that you live, put on. He says it again uh, in, in, in a few other places. That phrase, put on, uh, it's in Galatians 3.27. Titus chapter 2 says, adorn the doctrines of God. He's saying this, you're not wired to be spiritual, and you are not wired to be Christ-like. You're going to have to fight against your tendency to yield to your flesh every day. So you have to make a conscious decision to be less like you and more like Christ. He said, put it on like this, like you go every day to your closet and choose what you want to wear. He said, it is not natural for man to be humble or meek or long-suffering or gentle. So you've got to make yourself yield and adorn those things every day. Put it on. So he said, go to your closet and say, Holy Spirit, you have your way. Today, I'm going to put on some humility. Today, I'm going to put on some long-suffering. Today, I'm going to put on some meekness and I'm going to cover up just and in Jesus so the world can see Christ through my life. Amen. Amen. More like Christ. Now, I want you to see this in this letter. We're not going to take a lot more time, but I, I want you to see this progression. The church in Thyatira, and I'll give you just a little bit of background on it, and then we'll, we'll get into it. The church in Thyatira is a Macedonian colony, or the, the city of Thyatira is a Macedonian colony. And you look in verse number 18, and Christ describes himself as one who's ready to judge. And there's a lot to deal with in this church. Thyatira was a city of industry. It's a city of multiple gods. It's an industrial city, which means it's a city of different guilds that these manufacturers would have to join. Every guild had its own little god. And then every guild would have its own little pagan festivity toward that god. And if you were going to be in a certain line of work, you were expected to join that union or be a part of that guild so you can see what kind of a predicament that might put a Christian in when they're forced into this crowd that worships these false deities. The name Thyatira means an aroma or a fragrance of affliction and sacrifice. 
And if a Christian was going to be faithful to God in that city, they would know all about affliction and they'd know all about sacrifice. Now, I was praying over this, uh, this letter, this epistle, and I was looking into it, and there's a lot of obvious things to preach on, the, uh, the heresy here and the different issues, but God seemed to draw my attention to verse number 19, and it really spoke to my heart. In every letter, there is commendation and correction. And I don't want us to overlook the commendation that Christ gives to this church. Now, no doubt about it, there's a large, probably, segment of this church that has gone out into sin. But obviously there are some in this church that are still pressing on the upward way and living for God. Because in verse number 19, look what Jesus says about this church. He said, I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. So there are some in that church, in that pagan place, that are still abounding more and more in the things of God. They weren't going with the crowd. They weren't succumbing to the culture. They weren't compromising with everybody else. But they were still progressing in their Christian life. Now, when we talk about spiritual growth, it is more than what I do. It is more than how I feel. It is that process in my life of becoming more like Jesus Christ. It is molding my will to the will of God. It is yielding my desire to the Holy Spirit. It is conforming my thinking to the mind of Christ. Spiritual growth is not achieved overnight. It is developed over a lifetime. But it ought to be in development. Spiritual growth is the transformation of my practices in my life to match my position in my Lord. I have already been gifted with all of the richness of Christ, the riches of Christ, the fullness of his blessing. But spiritual growth is now me exuding those graces from my life in this world. And I want you to see this progression. Are you ready? Look at it with me. This church, this verse shows us it's not cyclical, it's linear, and it's ascending upward. All right? Let's look at the progression of spiritual growth. It says, first of all, I know thy, what's the word? See it? Works. Works. I have in parentheses by the word works, this is basement level baby Christianity. This is doing what's expected. Everyone who is saved ought to work. Amen. We ought to work. And a lot of times we do work. In fact, new converts sometimes are more fervent in work than someone who's been saved for decades. But here's the issue. Works is this. I am doing something for Christ. I am doing things that are right, and maybe I'm doing it even the right way. It's an acquaintance with the Savior, but I would not say it's intimate with the Savior. That's where we got in at salvation. We got in on works. Well, I'm supposed to go soul winning, so I'll go soul winning. I'm supposed to tithe, so I guess we'll tithe. I'm supposed to work a bus route, I'll work a bus route. They want me to dress a certain way, fine, I'll dress a certain way. So we do, do, do a lot of things because we're converted. Or because we're commanded. Or because the crowd is doing it. Or because there's competition and we want to look as spiritual as somebody else. We do it because we're supposed to. That's baby Christianity. Everybody, you hear me? We're doing it because we have to. That's baby Christianity. We're doing it because we ought to. That's baby Christianity. Works, the first level, is all built on emotion or how I feel. That's why a new convert fizzles out quickly if they don't get mentored, right. discipled, amen, grounded. Why? Because they're doing everything off of thrill. 
And baby, one of these days, the thrill is gone. Amen, as they say in the book of Psalms. And uh, anyway, I mean, one of these days, the excitement wears off. Woo, let's go soul winning. That lasts for a couple weeks, right? I mean, they get excited over it for a little bit, and then somebody says something to them, they get sideways, and they fall out. It's all built on zeal and joy and excitement and feeling. And then after the feeling wanes a little bit, they get unfaithful in the work. We have got to progress. I'm talking about a, a, a linear ascending line. Thank God for everybody who works, but don't just stay at that. Because next comes this, add to this, your works, add, to, add charity to your works. You see what it says? It says, I know thy works. Thank God for that. But, but then there's another level and charity. I said works is doing right things for Christ. But I like this. Well, charity is doing the right things from the right motivator. Amen. I think sometimes we get in a problem here because we're like, well, I want everybody to do this, that, or the other. And they do it for this, that, or the other and not for Christ. And that's why they only do this, that, or the other one day a year out of the big event. Oh, my. Amen. If we don't do it out of love for the Lord, what is charity? Charity is selfless love. Charity is not a carnal motive. It's not carnal mannerisms. It is love poured out upon somebody else. It is love put into action. You study 1 Corinthians 13, and it says, I don't care how well you can preach. I don't care if you've got every talent and gift in this world. If what you do is not from the starting point or the baseline of love, it is nothing. It is not. A, it is zero. You might as well pack it up and go to the house, man, if you're not doing it out of a love for Jesus Christ and a love for other people. Now we're maturing a little bit in the Christian life. That is this. I'm not going soul winning because I, I have to. I'm going soul winning because I don't want that man to go to hell. Man, I'm going to go soul winning because Jesus died for that sinner and I love the Lord. I'm not going to dress this way because the preacher said I had to or because sister so-and-so is running her mouth about me on the internet. I'm going to dress this way because I want to please him who died for me. That will keep you from being a hypocrite, by the way. Amen. Charity is love in action. Now, we're talking about a progression, getting more spiritual. I wonder, what are you doing for the Lord? You say, well, I'm working. I'm busy. Is anybody else in this church? Yeah, but why? If it's just to say that you're busy, then that's nothing. Amen. Works, charity. Now, watch. Charity is the parent of the next one. Works, charity. But look what else he says. And I know your service. Charity is the parent, service is the offspring. Now we're talking about a higher degree of work, if you will. What is service? Service changes things. No longer am I working for Christ, now I'm working with Christ. I tell you what service does, it changes work to worship. Whenever you're doing it from the starting point of love and you have that servant heart, that servant mindset, it is not a drudgery. It is not a hardship. It is not even labor. Man, now it is that work of love. It is that labor of love. It is that joy that thrills your soul to go and pour your life out on other people. Service is doing something for someone without expecting anything in return. And even if they want to give you something, you say, I don't need that, man. Just serving you is all I want. John 13, when Jesus humbled himself, he washed the feet of his disciples. 
when deity washed the feet of dust. That is our example of how you and I who are mature Christians ought to live our Christian life. We don't do something good to you so you'll do something good to me. I do something good to you because I'm saved, not going to hell, and Christ changed my old wicked heart, and now I love you for some reason. I don't know why. The love of Christ constraineth me, and I just want to serve you. That's why I'll get up and work the bus route and get up early, and that's why I spend my Saturday out soul winning, and that's why we clean the church building, and that's why we give our tithe, and that's why we sing in the choir, not because we have to or ought to or should. We just can't help it because we love Christ and love you because we love Christ. I want to serve. That's what it means. I don't focus on the task. I focus on the one in need. I don't focus on performance. I focus on the person. Service is a selfless act that is initiated by love, motivated by love, and it's an others kind of an action. Amen. You can work without serving. You ever been around folks like that? Oh, my soul. They got the worst attitude they're the busiest person in the church, but they're also the most bitter person in the church. They're serving the food line, and they, they, they slop your sloppy joe down as hard as possible on your plate. God bless you. You know what I mean? Hallelujah anyhow, right? The marriage supper of the lamb. I hope the Lord does it to you, you know. That's not Christianity. Everybody all right? He said, well, I've been out here all day, bless God, on this bus route. Well, go toot your own horn somewhere else, man. You're not going to get any crowns in heaven for that with that attitude. If you're doing it because you have to, right? I teach my class or I prepared that sermon and then you just kill everybody. It doesn't, doesn't help you and it won't help them either. Amen. Here's the progression. Works, good. Every new convert ought to work. They can be excused there. But you and I have been saved a little while. ought to advance from just, ser uh, just working, I mean, to charity. And then charity ought to produce service in our life. And then watch this. It goes further. Parent and child, charity and service. But watch this. Then it increases to faith. See what it says? I know that works and charity and service. Now watch this. This is Christian maturity. Faith. Faith does not have to see. Faith does not have to feel. Faith does not have to know. Faith simply leans upon the Lord. Faith says this, God's track record is worthy of my trust. <laughs> he's never failed, and I don't reckon he's going to fail now. What is faith? A firm dependence upon God's faithfulness. Right? I am not relying on your faithfulness, and I don't want to look at God through the lens of my own faithfulness, but I understand though I fail him, he abideth faithful. He's never swung and missed, said oops or uh-oh or made a mistake. So I can trust Jesus. That's Christian maturity is one who's anchored in faith. They don't have to have all the answers. It doesn't have to be a clear path. The Red Sea can be before them, but they know my God will make a way through the wilderness, and all I got to do is follow him. I can trust him. Faith does this. It keeps us moving forward in spite of fights, in spite of failure. You'll know this. In the Christian life, you're going to fail. Your halo is crooked. You might want to straighten it up. You're going to fail. You say, well, how am I not going to get knocked out when I fail? You're going to have to have faith that God is in control and that God's will and God's way is still at work in your life. Amen. It'll keep you serving, amen, when nobody says thank you for serving. It'll keep you in your post when nobody seems to appreciate you being in your post. Why? Because our eyes are on the Lord. All right, so I said charity births service, but watch this. Faith produces patience. Last, uh, almost last one. Faith produces patience. What is patience? He said, I wish you'd hurry up and tell us. What is patience? Here's the problem with patience. 
Patience needs trial to even exist. And it needs faith to succeed. James 1 and verse 3 says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh what? Patience. Patience is produced from affliction and trial. Tribulation works patience, and patience makes a mature Christian. What is patience? Patience, patience is faith's fruit in the life of a Christian that keeps us pressing on. It's what Paul said, but none of these things move me, right? He said, for I am persuaded that neither life nor death, he, he goes all the way through it. He said, I understand that I'm going to make it to the I'm just going to wait on the Lord in this thing, and I can have patience. Here's what patience understands. God doesn't rush. God doesn't get in a hurry. God doesn't worry. God doesn't quit. Therefore, by faith, I'll not do it either. God doesn't get bitter, so I won't get bitter. God doesn't get, amen, God doesn't get, uh, get, doesn't get mad, so I won't get mad. God doesn't play the victim card, so I won't play the victim card. I'm just going to say like Job. You know the patience of Job. The Lord gave, the Lord took away. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. He said, I'm just going to trust God through it all. Amen. That's what patience is. Patience is strength in weakness because you acknowledge I need the Lord. Patience is stability and uncertainty because you understand God has it under control. Patience is steadfastness when life changes because we understand he does not change. Amen. Patience. And then one more. Works, charity, service, faith, patience. And then he said works. You see, wait a minute. He repeated himself. Yeah, but on purpose. It's not the same. He's saying there is a type of works at the end of this progression. And he said it's more than the first. He said it is deeper, richer. Oh, it is more valuable. It is more holy and wholesome and helpful than the works at the beginning of the verse. He's saying this, it is not more in quantity, but it is more in quality. It is not more in number, but it is more in value. I think you could say it like this, working for Jesus is good. Working as Jesus is better. Working with Jesus is best. And we're talking about mature Christianity is not laboring in the power of the flesh. It is not laboring because you're commanded to labor. It is not laboring because the crowd around you labors. It is not laboring because there's competition with somebody else to labor. It is laboring wholly because of Jesus Christ and what he's doing in your life. Let me read you this quote. When I speak of a man growing in grace, I mean simply this. That his sense of sin is becoming deeper. His faith stronger. His hope brighter. His love more extensive. His spiritual mindedness more marked. He feels more of the power of godliness in his own heart. He manifests more of it in his life. He's going on from strength to strength, from faith to faith, and from grace to grace. Paul said, I travail till Christ be fully formed in you. What did he mean by that? He said, I tell you the purpose of the Christian life is not just to get your get out of hell free card. It's not to get saved, baptized, and a church membership card for your wallet. He said, now that you've been saved, there's a sanctifying work that the Holy Spirit and the Word of God performs in your life. And if we're going to make a difference, we must be different. And I don't mean weird. I mean like Christ. More like Christ. I wonder where you're at in your spiritual life. I don't know if you've been saved days or decades. It doesn't mean you're spiritual. 
I don't care how loud you shout or how fast you run or how well you sing. Doesn't matter your title. It doesn't mean you're spiritual. And if you are spiritual, are you more spiritual today than yesterday? More about Jesus. More and more about Him. I think Paul would say this. If Christ was the ocean, I want to dive to the bottom. If Christ were a banquet table, I'd eat everything on it. If Christ were a garment, I want clothed from shoulder to foot. He said, I'll tell you what I want after three and a half decades of laboring, preaching, planning churches, imprisonment, persecution, and faithfulness. I wish I knew Jesus better. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.